0: Thank you, worship team, for sharing with us this morning. And uh, we want to get into the Word of God this morning. And I want to thank you all for again joining us in this very different situation. So let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity we have to open up your Word. Lord, I pray that over the Internet, we can still join together as a church and just love your Word and love you and love each other. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to you, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, as I mentioned before, the church has left the building. We have pretty much closed our offices for the upcoming week, and we will be doing our work from home. But I wanna challenge you to reach out and love to one another, to uh, make sure that people around you, maybe a person that the Lord brings to your mind and your heart, that you would give that person a call and just make sure they're okay. We've been doing that with our widows and widowers just to make sure they have everything they need, uh, food and medicine. And we wanna still take care of God's people and others who may come to our heart, friends and neighbors that may need our help. And so we're excited about that opportunity. We're excited about doing that. I know that a lot of us have been experiencing things that are different for us. Uh, I was reading about one mom who stated that she's now homeschooling her kids she goes, Homeschooling has been going pretty well. Uh, Interesting day today. Two boys were suspended for fighting with each other, and the teacher was dismissed for drinking on the job. (laughs) And I I think that highlights that a lot of us as parents are experiencing something very different. We're actually enjoying this time together and being able to spend more time with our family, but concern for folks not only here in our community, but around the world. And we need to pray that this virus stops as soon as possible. Today, I wanna continue our talk in the book of Acts and talk about the sin from within, which is something that all of us can relate to, right? Because when we come to faith in Christ, we are still dealing with sin. It's not like sin leaves us. Every day, it's a battle. And the bottom line of our talk is this, the church is healthy and growing in spite of the persecution. We're gonna read that in the end of Acts chapter four. However, the church is faced with a new problem, the challenge of dealing with sin from within the body of Christ. And sometimes that happens. And our desire would be, Lord, may that sin in the body of Christ that affects the body of Christ never be something that I have caused. I don't want that to come from my life. So it's a great opportunity when we open up the word of God To use the Word of God as that amazing mirror that highlights what's needed to change in my life. What what do I need to change? Because I want to make sure that as I enter into fellowship with other believers, that God somehow uses me to encourage others, to build others up, and to build the kingdom of God. As you know, we're in the first section of the book of Acts. We've talked about this. This is chapters 1 through 7, right? Peter is the central person. He's doing the leading of the church. And the main audience are Jews in the city of Jerusalem. That's what's happening here. Thousands of people are coming to faith in Christ. You probably remember Acts chapter one. Jesus gives his final instructions. Then he ascends into heaven. Then in Acts chapter two, the church is born. This amazing new thing that God has started to change the world. Peter gives his first sermon. 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. Then a lame man is healed at the temple. A crowd gathers, Peter gives another sermon. 5,000 people come to faith in Christ. And the Lord was adding to their numbers daily, Acts chapter two says, those who are being saved. But in Acts chapter four, the first attack on the church happens when Jewish leaders arrest Peter and the other apostles, put them in jail. The next day, the Sanhedrin meets with them in Acts chapter 4, and they tell the leaders of the church, hey, don't teach about Jesus anymore. They wanted to stop what God was doing. But Peter and the disciples, they give the right answer. They said, basically, hey, we have to obey God rather than you, they say in Acts chapter 4. We have to obey God. We have to talk about what we've seen and experienced. And so they continued to preach, and the church rejoices that in spite of the persecution, Peter and the apostles are released, and their plan is to continue to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But then in Acts chapter 5, we experience the sin of two people known as Ananias and Sapphira. But before we get there, I'd like you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. I want to talk about what's happening in the church. Acts chapter four, verse 32 says this. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Don't you love that? You kind of expect that maybe because of the persecution, they would be depressed, maybe discouraged, maybe criticizing one another. But they don't do that. I love the summary statement here, verse 32. They were of one heart and soul. They were connected in a deep way with their heart and soul with one another. You've probably experienced that if you traveled and you've met another believer and you realize, hey, I'm of one heart and soul with this brother or sister in Christ. It's amazing how Jesus unifies us. It's amazing how Jesus brings us together. And what I want to look at as we look at this passage in the beginning of chapter five is what are important things for us as a church to do in order to grow. And this is the number one thing that I want to highlight from the text right here. in Verse 32. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. The importance here, it is, you can look at it in your notes in the Riverview Church app, the importance of having great unity. The importance of having great unity. I hope you all realize how important a unified church is in witnessing to others. And I get a chance to uh, talk to people that come to our church and they sense it, my friends. They sense the unity that we have here. Uh, my friend who uh, was here a few weeks ago, who's in a wheelchair, his name's Julian. Uh, he came to our church. I think you might remember. I prayed for him in the third service, if you were there at the third service. And he told me afterwards, he said, Mel, I could just sense the love and the unity, the presence of God when I came into your church. I could sense it. I love hearing that, because there is a great power in unity, unity around Jesus Christ and the truth of the gospel. Now it's not unity at all costs, amen? It doesn't ever mean that we compromise the truth to have unity. We're gonna get to that later when we deal with Ananias and Sapphira. But the important thing is that we have unity around the core truths of God's word, the core truths that we believe in, that Jesus is God in flesh, three persons in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is worthy to die on the cross for our sins. Therefore, salvation is not by our works, but by the work of Jesus on the cross. So salvation is by faith in Jesus alone. Those are core doctrines that we as a church would die for. And that's what unifies us. And Riverview Church, let's maintain that unity, just like they had here in the text. They were of one heart and soul. It wasn't a surface unity. It was deep. They knew each other. They loved each other, even though they had Just come to know Christ recently. They were connecting with one another, as we see in the early chapters of the book of Acts, day after day, they were getting together with one another because they loved one another. They got deep with one another. They were sharing prayer requests with one another. They were praising God with one another. They were sharing physical resources with one another. They had a great unity. In church today, Unity happens when we take our gifts and abilities and we use them for Christ. When we're determined to build up one another. The church is all about not only evangelizing, reaching out to people who are lost, but it's about edifying and building up one another. And I want to encourage every one of us to be an individual that builds up one another with our words, right? Uh, It's so important that we do that that we use our words and our mouths to build up one another, to encourage one another. If there is a problem, we need to have words that define the problem, not attack a person, but words that define the problem. That's the way to solve the problem. By the way, this is a great strategy for every relationship you have. In marriages, it's a great strategy. Identify the problem, don't attack the person. And I love when people come to me and say, hey, Mel, could we do this better or this in a new way that might strengthen our church? I love that. You've identified a problem. You brought words that have encouraged me and other leaders to address that problem. Those are words that strengthen the church, that strengthen one another. And, you know, it's always done from love, right? I believe that's what was happening in the early church. They love one another with their heart and their soul. It wasn't a surface thing. Their love for Christ caused them to love one another. Here's another thing that can uh, cause us to build up the church. Words that express our feelings, and, and again, don't attack a person. If you felt hurt by someone, the Bible's really clear about what we ought to do. Go to that person to make it right. Express how you felt to that person in love. Never lose your temper, never lose your cool, but to maintain the unity of the body of Christ to maintain the unity of the body of Christ. And then here's another type of communication that we need to be really good at in the church. Words that find a solution. Words that find a solution. If there is a problem, what is the solution to it? Whether it's in a one-on-one relationship or in a ministry, to maintain the unity, we're always about finding the solution. And if... There is a problem, we wanna seek to address it. So church, that's what we wanna do. Seek to address that problem and find a solution. And, And then words that express your love and commitment to the community that you're a part of. That you express your love to your brothers and sisters in Christ. At Riverview Church, let's do that. Love you brother, love you sister. Thanks for your encouragement. It's a blessing to be here with you all. Now, I know I'm saying that when we're all separated in our homes, but one day we will be back together. Riverview, let's be a church that expresses our love for one another, our love for the church, not just Riverview Church, but the church universally because we're unified around Jesus Christ. Now, sadly, church, if you're like me, you've met churches that have left the truth of God's word. We want to continue to stand up for the truth of what we find in the Word of God. And Riverview Church is committed to doing that in a context of love, to speak the truth in love. Like Ephesians 5 says, we ought always to do that. And what allows a church to grow is a love for the unity of the body of Christ. If I'm hurt by someone, I never want to do anything that divides the body of Christ. Uh, my, my hurt isn't worth that. I'm just going to let it go rather than divide the body of Christ. And, and uh, church, I want you to know there's a freedom in letting things go, whether it's in your marriage, in relationships with friends. Sometimes little things can, you can just let it go. That isn't the pattern of the relationship. You forgive and you move on. But if there is a problem that continues to happen, then yes, you you express in love to that person, the hurt that you felt and words that provide a solution. See, we want to maintain the unity of the body of Christ. We never want to cause an unnecessary division in the body of Christ. Of course, if a person comes in and teaches something that's contrary to the word of God, that needs to stop. That can no longer be here, right? But we want to draw near to God and his truth. And this is what happens, folks, when we have two believers or a group of believers that are all drawing near to God, to uh, this amazing God that loved us all the way to the cross. As we draw near to him, we draw nearer to each other, right? You see that. As all of us are drawing closer to God, we draw closer to one another. I sense that in my marriage. I'm sure you do too. I want my wife to love God more than she loves me. I know she wants the same for me. She wants me to love God more than I love her because as we pull together towards God, we both are committed to doing life God's way. And our marriage is made stronger as a result of that. That's so vitally important, so vitally important to have that kind of relationship that we know that we are seeking this God who loved us and he's given us a plan for all of our relationships and that we use our words to build up one another at all times at Riverview Church. Now the words that we don't want at the church are words that attack a person or tear down a person or gossip about a person. Every one of us, when we return as a church, We want to make sure we're we're never gossiping about somebody. We're never tearing anyone down. That should never happen at the church. We want to be people that build up one another and make sure that we are living for Christ in everything that we do. Let's go back to the text. So they were of one heart and soul. And this is what it says next in verse 32. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. That word common is a word we've talked about before. Koinonia, this fellowship, this in common that the church had. Hey, whatever I have, if this resource I have can help you, go ahead. You use it. If my laptop can bless you, hey, why don't you take it and use it? If you have a resource, a gift, or ability that can help somebody in a time of need, hey, I want to take that resource and ability and use it to help one another. See, that's how the body of Christ stays healthy. Everyone using their gifts and abilities and resources to meet the needs of others. See, they had nothing that was just mine. Can't have it. Nothing. See, here's the second important quality of a church that's growing. The importance of having great generosity, a generous heart to have a generous heart I had a friend like that in college his name was Frank and uh Frank taught me how to give you know I would often show up and uh to a class that we had together and we would often sit near each other and sometimes he would bring in a donut and I had rushed in I hadn't gotten anything to eat that morning I was hungry and I kind of looked over and I'm like wow I got a donut man I would love to have a little bit of that and consistently in my relationship with him, my friendship with him, whenever he sensed I had a need or wanted to share something with me, he would often take whatever he had and give me half. And often the half he gave me was the larger half. There were times I'm like, no, Frank, I don't, I don't want that much. Man. Just, no, you keep it. But he did that consistently. He taught me how to give. See, my tendency would have been to keep the bigger half for myself, or if I'm gonna give something to somebody else, to give them a very small portion. But Frank, in many different ways, showed me how to give. If I had a need, he was always there to help out. And we need to be a church like that, that loves to help out in our relationships with one another. See, that's what it was like here in the early church. Nothing they had was their own. See, this passage is very similar to the passage we see in Acts chapter two in verses 42 through 47. That was the first summary of what was going on. And I think this summary statement here reiterates what's happening in the church because the Holy Spirit wanted us to know that the church did not lose its core important values just because of persecution. They were still doing great things. And that's what was happening here. All things that a person had, didn't just belong to that one person. They had everything. In common, And I love what it says here in the text. They laid it at the apostles' feet. In essence, they were saying, God, it's yours. Now, that's really what everything we have in our life is, right? It all is God's. We are just stewards. God has entrusted to us everything that we have. We're just stewards of it. All the more, then, we should be asking the Lord, how can I use my resources to build up the body of Christ. I want to tell you, I've been so blessed as pastor in so many ways, so many times to see the generous hearts of the people at Riverview. I'm, I'm just truly amazed. Thank you for that. Thank you for giving. Even last week that so many of you gave via the Riverview Church app, it was so encouraging. We're going to face some challenges ahead with this coronavirus. But we don't want the work of God to be hindered in any way because of this. And uh, we're so blessed. We are so blessed as a church. Thank you, Riverview, for your generous heart. Thank you for your desire to see the needs in the body of Christ and to address them to the best of our ability, to the best of our ability. That's what was happening here in the early church. And I love the fact that the story continues at Riverview Church that there are people with such a generous heart at our church to help those who have a need. It's so vitally important. I'm reminded of a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It says this in verses six and seven. The point is this, the passage says, whoever sows sparingly will reap what? Sparingly. Do you hear what the word of God is saying? If you hoard for yourself, If you try to save your life, like Jesus said, you're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. I've shared with you before about my friend who was a chaplain for the Atlanta Braves. And he told me one day, Mel, these professional athletes, I mean, these guys have everything they want, right? But he told me one day, these guys are the most unhappy guys I've ever met in my life. Why, he said? Because they thought that if they became a professional baseball player, they'd be happy. They could play the sport they love. They'd have everything they'd want, cars, houses, fame, money. But he said, Mel, they got there and they still had this God-shaped vacuum in their lives. And they were desperate, desperate to find what would fill it. And my friend who was a chaplain with the Braves said, Mel, these, these guys are so unhappy. They're so unhappy. I'm reminded of a quote by Jim Carrey and I just saw it the other day. He said, I wish everyone could have fame and fortune and wealth so that they would know there's more to life than these things. That's not what makes happiness. And that's so true. That is so true. Whoever sows sparingly, reaps sparingly. But here's the good news in this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It says whoever reaps uh, sows bountifully, reaps bountifully. I don't know if I said that right in the tape, but let me say it again. If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. If you give of your heart to the Lord, and you give of yourself, and you do it bountifully, you'll be able to reap Bountifully. Each one must give, the passage says, as God has led them in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. But here's the beautiful part: says in the passage, for God loves a cheerful giver. So we want to be a cheerful giver. And you sense that here in the text. No one was hoarding. <laughs> you been hearing all the stories about people hoarding toilet paper, and I still don't get it. I'm still not sure why that's happening. But I saw a picture of four people that were wrapped in toilet paper from head to toe. And the text of the picture said, apparently, this is the way you protect yourself against the coronavirus. <laughs> because of all the hoarding that's going on. Because all the people that are trying to get it for themselves. Church doesn't want to be like that. We want to be sharing with one another. We want to be sharing with, with one another. Here's the first, uh, the third thing I see in the text. It's this, the importance of having a great testimony. Look what it says here, verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. So they're sharing with one another, but more than just doing that, they had a great testimony. They were sharing about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how that had impacted their lives. See, for a church to grow, we need to have a great testimony. It needs to extend beyond our four walls. It needs to get out into the community. And I tell people all this time, all this all the time, when they ask me, what is the plan for Riverview to reach out to the community? And it's all of you. God has placed you strategically where you're at so that you can be a testimony to the community about the power of the resurrection. See, it's founded in the truth of the resurrection. That's the foundation of our testimony. If the resurrection didn't happen, close the doors of the church. Uh, Let's all stop what we're doing. But the resurrection did happen. What we share with people is found on the historical reality of Jesus Christ risen from the dead. But it's also about how Jesus has changed our lives. And all of us need to be concerned about the testimony that we have for Jesus Christ. Are you concerned about that? Are you praying about people? that do not know Christ, pray for people that you can have a testimony with, whether it's in your neighborhood, maybe at the workplace, God, open up a door for me to share with this person or that person, to have that kind of heart, to want everyone to hear it, like they had here, with great power. And and again, it reminds us that what we need to do is just throw out the seed, right? We can't change people's hearts, It's God's power that does that. So as we rely on God and do what he tells us to do to share the testimony of Jesus Christ, we rely on his power to change the inner person of the heart. That's how salvation happens. That's how regeneration happens. God makes a person alive who is dead in their trespasses and sins. We just need to throw out the seed. And some will, my friends, land on good soil and take root in the hearts and lives of people. It will happen. And we see it happening at Riverview. See, you are the strategic evangelistic ministry of this church to be a light where God has placed you. You probably heard of Francis of Assisi, sometimes referred to as St. Francis of Assisi. And he said these words, He said, preach Jesus and if necessary, use words. And I understand what he was saying. He was saying your life, right? And actually your actions are very important. How you live is part of your testimony. But we need to know that it's more than just living a good life in front of people. And I I, I see what he's saying in his quote, preach Jesus and if necessary, use words. But the words are necessary. Believe me, words are necessary. I want people to know that it's not just about being a good person. It's about the person of Jesus. And that's what I want to share with people as I go through my life. And I know all of you do want to share that as well. That it's more than just being a good person. That's not what a good testimony is all about. It's part of it, but it's not all about that. It's about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. We see that in the text. They were talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And by the way, that is the key to really an effective testimony. Don't let people distract you into uh, controversial issues that don't really relate to the core of the gospel. The resurrection does. And uh, I have learned over the years the importance of staying focused on that testimony. So they were giving their testimony with God's great power. And then it says this in the text, and great grace was upon them all. Why was great grace upon them all? Because they were focused on what God told them to be focused on. They weren't distracted. They weren't distracted by all these other different things and caught up in the busyness of this world. They were focused on the main thing, focused on the main thing. And that's so vitally important. See, there wasn't a needy person among them. For as many who were, this is what the text says, as many who were owners of lands or houses sold them, they brought the proceeds of what was sold, text says. Then in verse 35 of the text, talks about what happens. And laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as everyone had need. Then it highlights one great example, a guy by the name of Joseph, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite of the tribe of Levi, right? The priestly tribe, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. They highlighted the example, the testimony of this one guy by the name of Joseph, but the apostles renamed him. I love this. They gave him a new name because his life characterized encouragement so much. They called him bar, which means son, not bus, of encouragement because he was an encourager. That was his testimony. He loved to encourage people. He was an example of someone who had a great testimony, who willingly sold what he had and gave it to the church, to the apostles To distribute to those who had need. By the way, Barnabas was a great encourager. He was the one that met Saul after his conversion. All the other apostles uh, didn't trust Saul because he was persecuting the church. But as we all know, Paul was converted on the road to Damascus. Barnabas, this guy who loved to encourage, was the one who went to Saul, who risked his safety to take Saul and introduce him to the other apostles. He also was the one that gave John Mark a second chance when John Mark left Paul and Barnabas after the first missionary journey. John Mark quit. But Barnabas, being the encourager that he was, gave this young man a second chance. And that young man went on to write the second gospel of the four, the gospel of Mark. See, Barnabas was an encourager. He was an encourager. He had a testimony in the church. And my prayer would be that all of us would be concerned about our testimony. I had a discussion with my son about this because I was talking about how he needs to live a life for Christ first and not be concerned about public opinion. And he said to me, well, dad, I thought we were supposed to be concerned about what people think. And I had to explain to him that we are concerned about our testimony for Christ, that we set an example that mirrors the reality of Jesus Christ in us, but we're not to be people pleasers. We're to please God. Uh, Just like the apostles said to the Jewish leaders, we have to obey God rather than man. We can't be people pleasers. And uh, that's what it has to be like for us in the church. We have to obey God. We have to be concerned about our testimony. About the reputation of the church, not only inside the church, but outside the church to really live out what the Bible says the church should do. And that is so important. It's so important. A reminder of the story of a man who was possessed by demons. Jesus meets him in Luke chapter eight. And Jesus casts out the demons. You might remember the story. And they go into a herd of pigs, and the pigs run down into a lake, and they're all drowned as a result of this miracle that Jesus does. And this man who had the demons cast out of him comes to Jesus and wants to follow him. These were Jesus' words, and I love his challenge to this man. He says this in Luke chapter 8, verse 39. He says, Now go back to your family, and tell them everything God has done for you. And this is what the next phrase, next sentence says. So he went all through the town proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him. Don't you love that? Just go back to your family and tell them what God has done for you. Be that testimony. This man did more than that. He went throughout the whole town. Telling people about Jesus. Uh, We as believers need to have that same passion for a good testimony. The church had this powerful testimony. People wanted to know what's going on inside the church. And you know, I'm so thankful when I uh, interact with people in the community, so many people tell me, Mel, I hear great things about Riverview Church, about what God is doing at the church. I love hearing that because we want our testimony as a church to work its way out into the community. And it's all because of the love you show people when they come to our church, of the friendliness of our church, of what you're doing in the community to help one another and share with one another, not just people in the church, but others who are part of the church. That's what our testimony needs to contain, the reality of Jesus within us, changing the world around us. See, The test that the church had by being persecuted under the Jewish leaders, thrown in jail, became tomorrow's testimony. See, your test today will be tomorrow's testimony in your life. You'll have a testimony of what God has done. This test that we're facing today with the coronavirus, yes, it's tragic. And it's sad as we hear about the death toll rising. But for us as believers, even if death were to take my life, even if I died as a result of this virus, my testimony is this. God has me in his hands. God has me. He's sovereign. He'll take care of me uh, when I leave this life and go to eternal life. That's the good news. We go from this place to a much better place. God will take care of my family. I need to trust him. But today's test will be tomorrow's testimony in our lives. We see that in the church. I'm sure it was a powerful testimony that the church, they continued to talk about Jesus. They continued to talk about Jesus, even being threatened. That was a testimony in the city of Jerusalem. And Barnabas was an example of that, a son of encouragement, a person who loved to help out others and be a source of encouragement. To one another. Now, here's the fourth thing that we see from chapter five. This is where the sin from within attacks the church. See, there were two people by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. They saw people giving what they had, and they wanted, obviously, to have the glory of doing something like that. They probably wanted to be like Barnabas and get some recognition for that. So Ananias decided to sell a piece of land that he had told the church he was gonna give it to the church, but kept a portion for himself. He didn't follow through on his promise. It says here in chapter five, verse one, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge, the wife was right in on it. He kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was not all of the resources at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Great fear came upon all who heard it. The young man rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what happened. Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much? And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you've agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. People have asked me, why was God so strict with Ananias and Sapphira? Why was God so strict with them? Here's the reason. There was such a powerful outpouring of God's power, miracles left and right, thousands of people coming to faith in Christ, a, a powerful display of the power of God, a visible display of the power of God. And it was in the face of that, and the unity in the church that Ananias and Sapphira conspired together to lie to God, to lie to God. And I believe that's why God judged them so harshly, because they saw what God was doing. And in the midst of that, they were used by Satan to try to bring division in the church. The fourth important thing for a church that's going to grow is the importance of having great purity. And I would say this as well, the importance of taking your faith seriously, of knowing that we're following God and there are expectations that God has of us not to be saved. But because of our salvation, because of our salvation, the importance of purity, my wife works for American Airlines and uh, she was working a flight recently and a woman came in with her two kids and she came to the row of three seats and she was very concerned about germs. Right. So she took out these wipes and she wiped down every seat. She was wiping down the arm rails between the seats, wiping down the backs of the seats, the seats themselves. She took down the tray tables of every seat, wiped the tray tables under them and the top of them. She wiped the back of the seats in front of her told her kids not to go into the row until she had finished. She took time. And my wife is watching all this and the, the the meticulous work this woman did to take these antibacterial wipes and wipe down the seats and the tray tables. And finally, with this kind of feeling of satisfaction and victory, she brought her kids in, sat down on the row and buckled her kids in. Well, wouldn't you know it? A man came back to her row holding his boarding pass. And he's looking at his boarding pass and looking at the row that the woman was sitting in, which happened to be an exit row with the additional leg room. He looked at the boarding pass he had at the row again, turned to the woman and said, oh, "Ma'am, I think you have my seats. And this woman said, well, I, 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 could we stay here? And he goes, well, I actually would really need, to, I'm a tall guy. I need to have that row. And all the work the woman did to purify her seats was lost. She had to get her two kids and herself out of that row and go to another row. She was so concerned about purity. But you have to admire that when it comes to our involvement in the church, that we have that desire to be pure in our lives. God, take your word and purify me. Help me to get rid of everything that doesn't reflect you in my life. That's what we need to be as a church, to have a desire for great purity in our lives, to take our faith seriously. And Ananias and Sapphira, and when you say their names, you almost know something bad is about to happen, right? Ananias and Sapphira, they were used by Satan to try to divide the church. And the church experienced a moment of discipline and says this in the text, that great fear came upon the church. Fear I just describe as an awesome respect for the God that we serve, an awesome respect that we have for God. So church, I wanna remind you of these four qualities of allowing a church to grow and that are also important in my life. The importance of having great unity. Don't let God use your life to divide the church. Have a love for unity in the church and what unifies us. The importance of great generosity. To say, God, my resources are yours. I want to have a generous heart to build up the church. The importance of having a great testimony that wherever you are, you'll be used by God to bring the testimony of Jesus Christ to people who need to hear it. And then lastly, the importance of great purity. May God purify us, purify our hearts so that we can live lives that reflect the reality of Jesus Christ in us. Amen, church. Amen. Live this week all for him, and we'll see you next Sunday. God bless. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time. Lord, I pray that your word would take root in our hearts and change us. We want to be like you. So Lord, we commit this word to you and to our hearts and to our lives. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, church.